the, this psalm came to my mind as I considered this morning uh, is Psalm 33, verse 12. And that's the main verse I want us to think about, but we're going to look at the whole psalm. <clears throat> okay? Uh, let me just read that. Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Okay? And as we go through this psalm, it's going to be a reminder to us that regardless of what happens Tuesday, that our faith will not be shaken. The church will still exist. God will still be on his throne. Uh, and what we as a people need to do is remember to trust him, that he is God. And that's basically uh, what really, in a nutshell, would you like me to quit now? No, that's, that's in a nutshell what, what this psalm is. But let's look at this together. Let's pray first, okay? Lord God, it is so good to be here today. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can come together and sing these songs of, of praise to you, and they're acceptable because of what you've done, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. That these, these songs are sacrifices we lift up before you. Lord, I uh, thank you for your presence with us today in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. I pray that you would take your word today and just cleanse and wash and do a work within your people this morning. God, that you'd be honored and glorified in the, the way the, the word is handled and spoken, the way it is received, that you would be magnified in our lives. Lord, thank you for this church family. Thank you that we love one another. We laugh together. We, we live life together. And we just pray that we do it in such a way that you're honored, you're glorified. Open up the scripture to us today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you know, I think this verse 12 is probably a, a lot of people's favorite verses. I mean, I see it on t-shirts and posters and different things, and, and I could be wrong, but I think Carol even has a t-shirt that has this on it, or if we bought it. But anyway, uh, there's t-shirts that's got it and everything else, but I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding about this verse, and that's really why I want to start here instead of starting at verse 1. I think there's a little misunderstanding about what it means, blessed is the nation. And I think people take that verse and they try to, to apply it to our nation and say, you know, our nation is really blessed. And in a lot of ways it is, let me, let me categorize this, in a lot of ways it is, we have wonderful resources, we have freedoms that we enjoy, we have medical uh, medicine that a lot of people don't have. I mean, we are blessed in that way in a lot of ways, but that is not the blessed that is used here. Okay, there is a blessed that means like something that has been given to you or something has been done to you and because that has happened, you are blessed. You know, like someone has given you a gift and man, you're really blessed by that gift. That's not what this word is about, okay? This word still kind of means the same thing. It still means a, a state of bliss it means a state of contentment but it always goes back to the basis of this bless is a relationship we this bless is because of a relationship in which you find yourself might be a relationship with your spouse and because of that relationship this word would fit and you talking about my life is blessed okay and here he's talking about a nation in that same way he's saying it is a nation that 
It's blessed because of the relationship in which it finds itself. And the relationship he explains to us right here in two terms. He says, for one, he says, their God is the Lord. Or he says, whose God is the Lord? So let's think about that word God a little bit just to get a real clear picture of what he's saying. This word God here is Elohim. It's used about 2,600 times in the Old Testament. In other words, it is the main word you see in reference to God. It is a masculine noun. It's, it's a plural word, which means sometimes we'll use it for the Trinity. But usually it is in reference to the fullness of God's power. It is used to the fullness of his rule. Uh, it is used in his supremacy. Uh, it is a word that says this is the one true living God. He is supreme. He is supreme as creator, as king, as judge, as Lord, as Savior. He is the supreme God. There is fullness in his compassion, his faithfulness. I, I mean, that is just a word that just says, Hey folks, this is God, okay? This is the one true God that we are talking about. But then he clarifies it, doesn't it? It's not just about knowing who God is. He says, whose God is the Lord. Now that kind of clarifies it for us. He has two clarifying statements, in fact. That is the first one, whose God is the Lord. This word Lord here, the pastor mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I'll just mention it briefly. This is the word Yahweh, if I pronounce that correctly. It is the self-existent, eternal God. He is the I am that I am. He is the one who was. He is the one who is. He is the one who is always going to be. He is the Lord. And when you see this word in your English New Testament, most of the translations, not all of them, but most of the translations will have Lord in capital letters when it is this Lord, okay? L-O-R-D. Other times you might see L, <clears throat> small case, O-R-D, different word for Lord, okay? So he's saying, listen, this is the one who was so holy that we would not even say his name. We would not even <clears throat> write his name completely. We, we would leave the vowels out and we would use just certain parts of the word because he is such the Holy One. Okay? So, so you see what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. Blessed. A blessed what comes from relationship. Blessed is the nation whose God, whose God is who? The Lord. Alright? So that immediately tells us we're not talking about a nation which is geographical. We're not talking about a nation as ethnically. Okay? We're, we're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about the boundaries of a people who know their God is the Lord. So see, that's why, that's why we can't take this verse and say, yeah, this is America right here. Man, we're really blessed. Well, we are blessed in a lot of ways, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a people who are in relationship with the Lord, and their God is the Lord. Okay, now why, why is that an issue when we talk about it that way? Because the issue is people do not follow and seek one true God. We cannot stand here, I cannot honestly stand here before you today and say this is talking about the United States. We're really a blessed nation right here. That's not, no we're not. Because everyone who, who says they are a citizen of the United States does not acknowledge God, the Lord, as their God. 
Okay? You hear what I'm saying? People today, they make their own gods. They make gods for themselves. They make gods like themselves. The nation of Israel, you remember the nation of Israel? They would follow the Lord, and then they would make false gods, and God would chastise them, and they would come back to God, and they would make false gods, and God would chastise them. And that's why we can't even look at Israel and say, Israel is the nation, even though the psalmist was probably thinking about Israel here when he penned this, we can't really say by what he is saying that he's talking about everyone who's a part of Israel, okay? Because why? Not even one, who, not everyone who is a part of Israel acknowledges their God is the Lord. They have their false gods. They have those that they bow before. We in the United States, we have power and prestige and popularity and family and recreation. And the list goes on and on and on. And because these things become our Lord and we are not submitted to the Lord, we're not in this nation that he's talking about. So who is he talking about? Let's narrow it down more. I hope I'm not muddying this up too much for you. Okay? So what we've got so far is there is a nation, not geographical, but it's a nation made up of people who know that their God is the Lord. And then he narrows it down and he clarifies it for us in the next part of the verse. The people God has chosen for his own inheritance. Okay? So who is in this nation? It is the people God has chosen for his own inheritance. Those are the nation that is blessed. Those are those are the ones who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, we see all through the scriptures uh, that God has chosen a people for himself. He started with his calling Abraham. He started with saying he was going to have a people that he chose, not because they were special, not because they were stronger, just because... He chose them. And it started and it goes on through Genesis. Uh, you know, that's going to come down to the seed. And as I said, Israel, uh, the psalmist was probably thinking about Israel. But here's the thing. Not everyone who was born in the bloodline of Abraham is really a part of the blessed. How can I say that? Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then... That it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. So see what I'm trying to clarify, clarify for us here. We're not talking about a geographical place as being blessed is the nation we're not talking about a religious group of people that is blessed be the nation we're talking about a group of people that knows their god is the lord and they are the people whom god has chosen for his inheritance you recall that was an ongoing problem with the pharisees the Pharisees kept trying to come to Jesus and, and convince him that they were of the bloodline of Abraham and that they were going to receive all the promises and all the blessings. And Jesus constantly was trying to open their eyes to the truth that he was the light of the world. He was the one who was bringing life and hope to people, not because they were the bloodline of Abraham. So Jesus coming through the line of Abraham, the redemption of those, they are his inheritance.
Now, I know some of you, your minds might be turning and thinking, and some of you know prophecy a whole lot better than I know prophecy, and uh, I, I know that, but I'll just say this, and, and I'll say it because I believe it, but I don't see the United States anywhere in the Scriptures. And that's just me, okay? You might be able to take me aside and say, well, look right here, chapter such and such and such and such. You may be able to do that, okay? I don't see that. What I see in the Scriptures is I see the church. I see God's chosen people. I see God's redeemed people. They are His nation that is blessed because they are in a relationship with God, okay? Uh, we are called God's chosen all through the Scriptures. I could show you place after place. I'll just show you one. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now listen to this. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay? So, when I begin to study verse 12, and really I begin to study it because of everything that's going on in our nation right now, the voting and all the talking and, you know, how we're going to blow up and everything's going to be done. And uh, that's really what got me into verse 12. And my eyes were real open to this, that, man, we misuse that verse when we take that verse and start applying it to the United States. Well, that's not what he's saying. Man, I love America. I'm going to sing God bless America. I'm going to pray God bless America. You know, I serve America. I love America. But this is not talking about the USA. This is talking about a people that God has called to himself and they are in a relationship with God. They make up the people of God. They are the church. Blessed is the nation whose who God is the Lord. The people God has chosen for his own inheritance. That nation is blessed because we are in this relationship with a living God. Okay? Does that, have I just muddied it up pretty good for you? I hope not. I hope you can see what the psalmist is saying here. So we conclude from that, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. We can conclude from that the blessed nation is God's people who know their God is the Lord. We, the church, we are blessed because of the relationship that we are in with God. And dear brothers and sisters, that's the, name, that's the way we need to read this book. We are a blessed people because God has called us to himself. We are to be the light and the salt. So yes, in one sense, uh, the USA is blessed because we do have a live, living church a body of believers in the USA, but no in the sense that as a nation geographically, God has said, hey man, you fit right here because that's not us. All right? Uh, probably a question to me as I studied this, and really we're going to get through this whole psalm, but as I studied this, you know, a question began to rise in my mind. I, I thought about everything going on in our nation. I thought about What's coming up Tuesday? What's going to happen after Tuesday? Uh, I don't like to do that because I like to think about better things than that. But, but I, I, I was thinking about those things. And a question that came to me was first and foremost is this. Can the church, 
and I'm not talking about just Lincoln Avenue Baptist, but it includes Lincoln Avenue Baptist, can the church honestly say that we understand and we live out our life that says our God is the Lord? Or if we as a church, individuals in that body would honestly have to say, you know what, Gary, the truth is I have got so entangled with the things of my life, my thoughts don't even much go to the truth that my God is the Lord. And see, that's why we need to turn back and we need to look at Psalms like this. We need to have them lift our thoughts higher than what they are at this time, okay? So, so here comes another question to me that's of great importance. Uh, probably uh, the, the most important thing for us as, as people is not whether we get a Republican president or a Democrat president or independent president and I do have my preferences and you probably do too but really you know that is <clears throat> that is not really the key thing I don't think to, to me as I thought about this the, the real thing that I see that needs to take place in the world today is we need to have a really God sent revival in the body of Christ and when I say the body of Christ, again, includes Lincoln Avenue, but much more. We, we as a people, man, we need to be awake, awoke from our slumber. You know, there's too many Christians who, they're just in a spiritual slumber. They're just kind of going through life, you know, and hey, sirrah, sirrah, whatever happens will happen. And that's not God, my God is the Lord. You know, and, and we just go through this attitude of lukewarmness, uh, which the scripture says Jesus hates. We're just like, we're almost anemic spiritually. You know, that there's no, there's no power in our lives. Uh, it's like we have just been disconnected from the power source of our spiritual life. And dear brothers and sisters, when, when I look at the condition of our country and everything that's going on, instead of me getting on my knees and praying, oh God, please give us a Republican or Democrat or whatever you are, president, I get on my knees and I pray, oh God, please revive your church. Stir your people up. God, and I'm including myself, God move in our lives in such a way that we're what Jesus said we are. Jesus said we're the salt and Jesus said we're the light. He, he didn't ask that as a question. He made a statement. He said you are the salt. You are the light. In other words, we are supposed to be affecting where he has placed us, just like salt does food and, and light does the darkness. He says that's what we are. So, so as we look at our world and the terrible condition it's in and the horrible things that's going on, man, we cannot expect the lost to act like saved. But what we can do is expect God's people to live in such a way that they know who their God is and he is the Lord Almighty. The salt light so regardless of who takes the white house my prayer is the church is going to be saying Lord God stir us move us do a work in our life so what would this look like this is where we're going to get and we'll do these quick okay we'll go through them quickly but I want you to get the force of them okay what's this going to look like for people who, who know the, their God is the Lord. Okay? Verses 1 through 3. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. 
praise befits the unright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Okay, one of the things I see right off, and, and, and you know we're starting, we start in the middle, so we'll go back to the first. What I see right off is the people who are the Lord's, we should be a people who rejoice in the Lord. Did you notice as I read those verses, I hope you picked up on it, he talks about us singing, about our shouting, and our giving thanks, and, and playing on instruments and everything. But here's the key. All those things say this, to him. Did you catch that? When we're called to rejoice, it's not just rejoice because we have got emotionally stirred. And there's, that's not always bad, but it's because we are rejoicing to him. When we sing, when we shout for joy, when we play our music in our hearts, we are lifting those praises to him. It's not about singing because I sing so good I want everybody else to hear me. And I don't think anybody does that. But, but you know, it, it's always a danger. It really is. Uh, we, we don't sing to, to put on a show. We sing to the Lord. Folks, that, that is so important. You know, uh, I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. And those of you that know me, you know that. I just can't. But for some crazy reason, I like to sing, you know, just when people's not around. Uh, I sing in the shower. I sing when I drive. I sing with my wife. I sing in this building when I think it's empty. Sometimes <laughs> it's not, you know. I do. I, I, I like to sing the old hymns. That's me. That's what I was raised on. And, and boy, I was out there singing one day, Bonnie. I'll tell you what. It was in my car, actually. Bonnie, I was hitting every pitch just right now. I was just going up and down the way you're supposed to and hitting those notes just perfect. Now, remember, I'm talking about somebody that can't sing at all, okay? But to me, I was doing it, okay? And it was like the Holy Spirit just went to me and said, who are you singing to? And I immediately thought to myself, I was singing to see how good I was singing. And I sing terrible. I say that to say, see just the danger, the, the minefields we walk in if we're not careful. We, we can get so out of step that, that we're not singing to the Lord. And God's word clearly says that we are to sing to the Lord. Now I want you to notice as we move through this psalm, there's another real important excuse me, word in verse 4. And I always tell people this on, on Bible studies. It's not always the big word. Sometimes it's the little words. The little word in verse 4 is the word for. Okay? So what he's telling us there, we are doing verse 3 because of verses 5 through 22. So what is moving us to rejoice in worship is not something that is emotionally done to us to move us. But what is the truth of this psalm, that is what moves us to sing to the Lord, okay? I've always had my own definition of worship, and, and it's really simple, but it's something I've always held to. Worship is what comes out when truth goes in. I really believe that. I believe true, true worship is a result of truth stirring our hearts, okay? 
So in the rest of this chapter, he gives us some truths that ought to stir our hearts. All right? Let's just look at them real quick. Verses 4 through 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So there, verses 4 through 5, a truth that I see is this. All God says and does is true. Have you ever thought about that? Everything God does, everything God says, everything he does is based upon truth and faithfulness. And it's not that he does those things righteously. It's not that he does those things faithfully. So he will be faithful and righteous. Those things are who he is. He is righteous. He is faithful. So as a result of that, everything he speaks, everything he says is righteous and is faithful. So anytime we open the word of God and we read the scriptures, we can look to God knowing he is speaking truth to us. Okay? Knowing that what he has done, he has done as acts of faithfulness on behalf of his children. Okay? Six through nine. Let's look at those. Six through nine says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Let me say something real quick here. 39 times in this psalm is reference made to the Lord and to God. This psalm is all about God, folks. That's why I said in the very beginning, this is a psalm that will take your thoughts beyond the things of the earth. This is a psalm that will take your heart and your thought Godward toward him. Okay, so, so what those verses say about us? It says this, we recognize the power of his word. Those of you that are familiar with creation, when, when God created, what did he create with? His word, okay? His son was called the word, the living word, all right? But scriptures tells us that man, and, and this psalm tells us, he just spoke things into existence. He, he gathered up the waters. Now think about that for a second. The waters. Did you know the waters cover two-thirds of the earth, 64 million square miles in the Pacific alone, with a depth average 14,000 foot. The greatest depth, in case you want to take a swim, 36,000 feet. Okay? Now, can you picture that in your mind? We're just talking about one ocean. We're talking about one ocean 36,000 feet deep, and our God, just by the power of his word, spoke the land that separated the waters, and that is just one of them. Now, how should we respond to that? We should respond, this psalm tells us, with a fear of the Lord, and we should stand in awe of God because of creation. But do we? Does our nation... Do we stand in awe of God, just Him as creator? No, we don't. We teach evolution. We teach the Big Bang. We tell kids that life really doesn't matter because it's just evolving anyway. See, folks, that's what I mean when I look at this psalm and say, we as a nation cannot place ourselves in verse 12 because we as the United States 
We've not recognized God as the Lord. Look at verses 10 through 12. And like I said, I'm not bad-mouthing America. I love America. I, I just want us to get on God's plan, okay? Verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And you've heard verse 12 several times, so I'll stop there. But what does that tell us? We recognize his sovereign purpose. God's plans do not override, or man's plans do not override God's plans. God has a plan of redemption and everything Satan in this world tried to throw against it to stop it did not stop it because God's plan was to redeem us. And God has a plan that overrides ours. Our decisions are not going to change the course of God's plans. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but in our present time, I really think about that a lot. I'm going to go vote because that is a right that I have and I think I should do, okay? But I realize even as I put my ballot in there, and I only got one, by the way, and I put my ballot in there. I read about God, it got 83 ballots. Can you imagine? Wow. But uh, I only got one and I voted and I put it in there. But even as I did that, I understand that all my thinking and planning is not going to override God's plans and God's purposes. And that's how I trust in my God when, when we come to times like we're in right now. I just trust my God that he is sovereign. I'm going to do what I feel he has given me opportunity to do, but I'm going to trust him in all that I do. You may have heard this story before. It's about two old senators that was in Washington, D.C., and uh, that river that goes through the Potomac, I think it is, and this old senator was looking at this log. He's looking through the window, and he's watching this log float down there, and he looked at this other one. He said, you know, he said, there's probably hundreds of thousands of little critters and little bugs on that log. And he said, every one of them thinks that they're the ones steering the log. And he said, you know, that's kind of the way it is in this city. He said, we all think that we're the ones steering the log, but the truth is we have a God who is sovereign. And we just trust him to do that which is right. See, brothers and sisters, you know this, but we are not the master of our soul. Blessed is the person who knows that. Blessed is the person who knows we're not the master of our soul. But we're in a relationship with God and he is the master of our soul. Uh, I'm going to go and skip a few verses that I had on the board, but verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. Notice all the alls in here, A-L-L. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Okay? So uh, verses 13 through 16, just simply we recognize that God knows us. Now, you know, for a Christian, that shouldn't, that shouldn't cause us to quiver and shake unless we're living in a life that we know is not honoring to God. But as I thought about that, I thought, what an amazing thing that this God that we have talked about in Psalms 33, his power and his creation and, and control and everything, to think that that God is concerned enough with me that he knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows the, my motivations. 
He knows the words I speak. He knows my faults. He knows me. And you know, to me, that is not something to cause fear unless I'm living in an ungodly way. But to me, I think of it as, man, what a compassionate God. What a compassionate God. That he watches over me as his child like that. Okay? Uh, I was talking to old Stephen uh, McGowan at the high school football game the other night. Somehow we got talking about high school and pro football. I don't know how, but anyway, we got talking about this camera, and you've seen it, it goes down the middle of the field, and, and then we got talking, and they have cameras on each side of the goal line. They have cameras on the goal post to see if the kicks go through. I mean, they have cameras everywhere watching those football players to see their good plays and to see their bad plays. But, you know, we got talking about that, and even with those cameras, sometimes they miss a play. They don't get it. But, folks, God never misses a play. Never. That is the God who is our Lord. That is the Lord who is our God. I keep saying it backwards, don't I? Okay? We're going through here quick. 16 and 17. Behold, thou, the Lord, is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Okay? 18 and 19. Why did I just... No, I didn't read that, did I? Let me read 16 17. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. 16 17. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Okay? That one is simply this. We as a people need to recognize that our power cannot deliver us. Now, I believe with all my heart, I think David would probably agree with me and some, probably most of you, I believe in a strong military. I believe in a, a good, strong military to protect us, to give us a peaceful life. But even in that, that is not where our hope is supposed to be. Our hope is supposed to be in God. That he is a God who can deliver us. I like what uh, Piper said this. He had just a little old paragraph deal that I read. And it was actually about Psalms 20. But same idea. He, he said, if you get delivered by chariots and horses, then chariots and horses get the glory. And that's not the way it's supposed to be in our life. God is supposed to get the glory. We're supposed to recognize that he is our deliverer. Praise God for strong militaries. I want them. I thank God for them. But even in that, my trust is in God. 18 through 22. This is the closing verses. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. So again, he tells us his eye is on those who fear him, those who reverence him. He, he has all those words in there that deal with trust. So about those verses, I'm saying blessed are those who trust the Lord. He has that phrase, deliver us, uh, keep us alive. Uh, the soul waits on the Lord. Uh, he is our help. He is our shield. Uh, we trust in his holy name. All that is saying that God doesn't call us because he is in need of us. 
We are the ones in need of Him. When God saved you, friend, God didn't put a help wanted sign out and look down and say, you know, oh, Fred, he is a good worker. I, I mean, that guy is a worker now, and, and I need to call him to my kingdom so I can put him to work. I really need him working. God doesn't do that. God doesn't put out a help wanted sign. We are the ones who put out the help wanted signs. We come to a place in our life where we realize that without God, we are hopeless. We realize there is no salvation in ourselves. That we cannot do anything to make ourselves acceptable to God. So we're the ones who put out the help wanted sign. And God is the one who answers that sign for us. See, that's the deal. We trust in Him. We need Him. We, we trust Him to deliver us, to keep us, to give us life, to protect us. Why? Because the Lord is our God. Last thing I want to mention. Last thing is the phrase steadfast love. I didn't point it out to you, but the psalmist used that phrase three times. He used it in verse 5 where he said, The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 18, Hold the eye of the Lord it's on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. And then this, verse 22, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, if there was none of these other truths in this psalm, if there was just verse 12 that said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, those whom God has chosen for himself as his inheritance. And all it talked about after that was his steadfast love. I think right there would be enough reason for me to find myself in the first three verses where I am rejoicing, where I am giving thanks, where I am shouting for joy to the Lord. Think about his steadfast love. Last Wednesday night, we, we did John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but will have eternal life. What, what a magnificent thought God so loved with a steadfast, unchanging love. And then Romans 5, 8, and God demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love, letting his son die for individuals who were totally different than himself, for individuals who were depraved, for individuals who were sinners, died dead in their sin. But God demonstrated his love, sending his son, dying on a cross on our behalf. Dear friends, if there was nothing else in that psalm, that would be enough right there to move us to be a people who worship him, who trust him, who look to him in hope because God, who is our God? The Lord. The Lord. A psalm to turn our thoughts from the things of this world to who our God is. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this word. 
God, I pray that your spirit would just take this written word that we've read together, touch our hearts. Lord, I know for myself, it is so easy to get so entangled with everything that's going on that, that my thoughts do not even turn Godward, and it shouldn't be that way. I, Lord, I should look to see your hand in, in all my life, and sometimes I just don't. And, and Lord, I, I ask that you would grow me through those times. Lord, I thank you for a steadfast love that even when I'm a failure, you still love me. Thank you for loving me as your child. Lord, I pray for each of us who are gathered here today. You know our needs. Maybe those who have not yet come to a saving faith in Christ, but you've been calling them, you've been dealing with them. You've been bringing them to a place of conviction about their sins. And I would pray today that they would see what a marvelous, awesome God you are that loves so much you gave your son to die on our behalf that today you might move them to trust him and only him as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for your church. As a, as a church in this world, it, it just seems like we have enemies all around us. It seems like we're losing Christian uh, opportunities and stuff all the time. It seems like freedoms are being taken in some places from believers. And Lord, our brothers and sisters around the world are dying. And we look at all that, Lord, and if we're not careful, we let all that cause us to question. So I would pray that all that junk that's going on would cause us to look up. That all this stuff that's going on in our nation, God, all these terrible things, policemen being shot and people being killed and military personnel being killed around the world. Lord, I pray all that stuff would cause us to stop and look up. Not forget that you're God and that we would trust you, hope in you, ask you to pour out your steadfast love on us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.